Hello, and welcome back to Real Professional, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non-air quotes real professionals. Uh, we got a good show for you today. we got the actors from Detroit Become Human on today. we got Brian Deckhart and uh, Amelia Deckhart, who are, uh, they were Connor and Tracy in Detroit Become Human. Uh, we also got uh, Trevor and Jesse on to talk about the Game Awards. So, you know, without further ado, DJ, drop that sick beat. Beat drop goes here. All right. Hey, guys. How you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good, and I'm in a beautiful, sunny San Diego right now, so if my voice sounds a little bit weird, it's because I'm calling in on a different microphone, so we'll uh, find out in post if this sounds uh, better or worse than previous shows. Uh, Jesse, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. I'm uh, feeling feeling good. Feeling, uh, feeling festive for tis the season for uh, awards, for all the lists to come out of bests and worsts. Which ours will, you know, be coming soon. Of course, of course. <laughs> I don't know, I've always find the uh, the award ceremony season to be like a bunch of self-aggrandizing bullshit. Like in general, like Academy Awards, regardless of the award, it's always like, I don't know. I uh, I, I enjoy the spectacle, but I, I'm just not like a huge fan of um, trying to like categorize and classify which is the best and the worst. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely agreed on that. Um, self-aggrandizing and. Um and all that uh i'm struggling to see what the difference between the game awards and like an e3 conference is because it seemed like uh there was just as much um like promotional stuff going on at the game awards which strikes me as odd yeah i mean if you want to talk about award shows like they they are mostly for the like the industry to recognize their own members like people don't really recognize that the academy awards like isn't like a institutional body like it's not like a government organization saying this is the best culture of the year it's just like an industry awards show for people in an industry that just happens to have a lot of eyes on it you know yeah big uh big circle jerk it is a big circle jerk and it's it's fun for the people that are getting circle jerked off it's uh, yeah. the circle jerks always fun for the participants yeah but the people but, in the uh, center uh, in the center of the circle you know um, yeah maybe, maybe yeah exactly and it's it's like the more you think about it like a circle jerk the more it makes sense where they're like well you know Leonardo DiCaprio hasn't got his turn to come yet so we got to throw him on center stage so he can jizz all over our faces and everyone's <laughs> like yay yeah. jizz on my face leo <laughs> absolutely i didn't see him but um yeah well, he 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 wasn't for the Game Awards. He won for the Revenant, and there was like all the talk of like, oh, he needs an award because he he's he's deserved it after all of his his years. And um, like, I guess if we're just gonna be like viewing like award shows as like circle jerks, like yeah, I guess if you've been in the jerk for a while and haven't had your chance to be in the center yet, it makes sense. It, the whole the whole situation makes a lot more sense if you just think about it as a circle jerk. So, agreed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, really, it's it's like December right now. And uh, there's not a lot of news, news, news coming out. So the only news, news, news worthy of news is uh, the Game Awards. So we're going to be talking about that, whether we agree or disagree. So let's just get into news, 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 news music here. Cool. All righty. 
So I have in front of me uh, the list of games that won various different awards. Have you guys watched the Game Awards? Are we getting hot, fresh takes? What's the situation? Hot, fresh takes here. I don't think either of us watched the Game Awards. Yeah, it's going to be pretty fresh. It's going to be pretty hot. Um, I watched a couple clips, um, and that's about it. Um, So I don't really know how it stands at all. Yeah, it's um, it's like a two-hour kind of spectacle event, and they had like musical acts which uh, existed. I mean, I don't really think there's a purpose of talking about it. I watched uh, the musical acts actually. I watched uh, Grimes do her thing, which was pretty fucking sick. Um, she played the music from Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, and that got me pretty excited for that actually. Um, that was that was pretty sick. She played the music for Cyberpunk seventy seven, and also defended apartheid South Africa. Uh-huh. Which I thought was weird, but you know, yeah, I thought it was yeah, weird that, was... that she she drove on stage in a in a in a Tesla Cybertruck. Um, Elon popped out of the the moonroof. It was all weird, man. Yeah, was... he was demoing his flamethrower, much <laughs> to the dismay of the front row. Yeah. Well, I would say the weirdest part is that he actually came through a portal from the future with the car. Like that was like I didn't even know they had the technology. So of the hot reveals of the night, the time travel was definitely the the most yeah kind of epic. Yeah, absolutely epic, Rick and Morty style. Um, yeah, epic. Well, you know, it's like when he explained that the portals are normally blue, but he did it green just to appeal to gamer Rick and Morty fans. Like, I really felt like he got the heart of gaming there. Like, he understands us. I completely agree, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that makes – that's it's just the little touches like that that makes me realize that the corporate overlords have our best interests at heart. As long as they reference Rick and Morty, they can abuse their fucking creative team all they want. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, I yeah. love the worship of Elon Musk. It's incredible. He's just <laughs> this guy who does basically nothing, and then people treat him like Iron Man. Like yeah. They, you know, but much like Iron Man, he gets rich doing really horrible things. In Iron Man's case, uh, being a major arm of the military industrial complex. In Elon Musk's case, uh, inheritance from a South African. Uh, emerald mine and yeah the company that would become paypal yeah i mean that's the thing and just like the the movies where they were like oh tony stark doesn't do his military uh contracting thing anymore elon musk has tried to distance himself from the you know apartheid slave labor that uh granted him his fortune but um and then doing things like instead of paying taxes it's like i'm gonna save the world by myself by, yeah, I've always um, wondered like the amount of financial crimes that has to go into, or like the the feeding into like this horrible, uh, the, the dehumanizing capitalist system for Tony Stark to retain all of his money, even though he no longer quote sells arms to the military. You know. Yeah, I mean he still does, except it's just a different part of the military, which is the shield. It's the good guy military. The good guy military. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we love them. We yeah. love yeah, it when the... they build three massive helicarriers. Uh, designed to uh shoot everybody at once that was super dope (laughs) remember that part in batman where uh he creates like the device that can like listen to everyone and then they're like how how is this moral and then he's like but i gotta beat bane or maybe that was the joker he's gotta be the joker and then they're like okay we'll just use it this once and then uh then alfred blew it up because he's like we're never gonna need this again and uh we love our panopticon don't we yeah it's really great, and uh, I love the the moralization that like okay, but you can only use it when it's real bad. Yeah, this 
that that's the real life is that there's real life jokers running around yeah that's just uh you know what if we just never talk about the game awards yeah honestly <laughs> i mean how good yep. can they be well, I mean, so we're going to I want to I kind of want to jump into it because uh, there is some fun discussion to be had here. Um, we're going to skip over the esports because I don't think anyone I don't care. Do you guys care? Do you guys want to talk about the esports awards? I don't care. I don't think there's any difference between FIFA 18 and FIFA 19. It's fun to like look over the esports awards who won because they're all like it's their the their like screen names. So it's like, oh, Booga won for best Fortnite player. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah it's real real big important people here it's great because these are like you're looking down the wikipedia list of like all the games and which games have their own you know wikipedia pages and they're all blue links because i haven't like clicked on a lot of them yet and then you get down to the esports players and they're all like this person doesn't have their own page which just shows how important they are in the overall scheme of things all right so skipping over the sports words what you got next for us okay so um I'm going to go in kind of order of uh, ascending importance. Uh, so kind of starting from the bottom of the list. Uh, okay, so we had the award for best community support, which uh, I don't believe we need to talk about, but Destiny 2 won for best community support. So uh, do you guys, are either of you Destiny 2 players? Uh, I played it for a bit. It was like Borderlands, but not fun or charming. Um, and from what I understand, uh you know, the community has been very not satisfied with Destiny because the DLCs they keep rolling out are just like, you know, one or two recolored bosses or something. I don't know. I didn't. Yeah. I played it for free when it was on PS4, but. But do you, as a boring. Destiny 2 player, do you feel supported by Bungie? Like in your, in your like emotional day to day life? No, the opposite. I feel like I've been supporting Bungie far too long. So maybe it's the the fact that the community is the only thing keeping this game alive, despite the fact that they keep coming out with lackluster DLCs. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what the community support is. The community keeps supporting this. Oh, um, man. We need a, like a, kind of a, a drop for hot takes. That's our hot take. The first hot take of this show. Yeah. The, the Destiny 2's community support is all uh, upriver. Yeah. Trickle-down support economics. We need a soundboard. That's what I'm saying. When when we get in a soundboard. When soundboard <laughs> win. How much are soundboards? We could probably like justify expensing one. I remember back in the day, uh, E Bomb's World. You know, you had the Arnold Schwarzenegger soundboard. Um, that that was free. <laughs> Borat sound, soundboard. Yeah. Oh man, if we ever get like a like a wacky morning DJ soundboard, that's when we need to like all end the show. Like the last episode will be when we institute the the chainsaw sound soundboard. Just make your own noises. <laughs> hot takes cut through the gaming industry with our hot takes there you go we're we're saving that one (laughs) but uh i guess the first one i really want to talk about is fresh indie game which um went to uh disco elysium so the nominees were my friend pedro untitled goose game slay the spire the outer wilds and greece uh and disco elysium won and disco elysium actually won four awards at the show it won uh best independent game uh fresh indie game uh what else did it win i'm looking at it here uh best independent game fresh indie game uh best role-playing game so it actually beat out uh outer worlds for rpg and it also won for best narrative so it got a ton of awards yeah here's great um i i haven't played now that i think of it i don't think i played any of those games um 
Outer, Outer Worlds you played. No, well, not Outer Wilds. Yeah, oh, they, we, yeah, Outer Wilds and Outer Worlds are two different games. Just yeah. gotta make sure we clarify that. <laughs> um, but uh, I, from what I understand, the story of Disco Elysium is you're a uh, severe alcoholic uh, cop who's also anti-authoritarian. I'm not really sure, <laughs> but uh, I dig its style. I dig that they shout, gave a shout out to Marx and Engels. Um, yeah, yeah. You want to you want to talk about that real quick? I you know I don't know if there's much to tell. Uh, it's a nice change of pace from seeing that uh, super villain uh, looking, you know, EA CEO get up there and be like, "We got fun surprises for all of you guys." Uh, <laughs> games as a service, not a you know, we're gonna commodify your time that much more. Well, no, it's the uh, the Disco Elysium people when they came up to accept their award, uh, they like gave a shout out to Marx and Engels like on stage. Yeah, they're like thanks communism, <laughs> which is funny because this is uh, the studio is in uh, if I if I'm correct, the studio is actually in like Estonia, so it was a previous Soviet state. So that is like the legitimate hot take of the show was that. Uh, yeah, you know, Disco Elysium people thanked uh, communism for their their great contributions to the world. Good, good times. Yeah, we love to see it. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually have played Disco Elysium. I haven't gotten through it yet. I'm trying to review it before the end of the year so that I can get into my uh, into my own personal game of the year list. Um, it's it's really really interesting because it's one of these games where you don't really need to like do combat to like like the first like the, there's no combat in it for like a significant portion of time, and so it's kind of that old style of. Um, Planescape Torment, where you could, like, so much of the game was dialogue, and I think people have been hungry for that for a while. So that's, like, one that I don't actually have a lot of controversy on is, like, Disco Elysium winning a ton of awards. I think it definitely deserves them, and um, if anyone hasn't played it yet, like, it, it actually won the most awards of the show. Even if it wasn't, like, Game of the Year, it won four awards. The next highest was Death Stranding, which won three. Um, and, like, I think it's really cool that this this game that, like, prior to release... No one was really excited about, but it made this huge splash just because of the quality of the game. Like, I didn't hear anything about Disco Elysium before it came out, you know? Yeah, same. Um, that one really took us by surprise. Yeah. Well, anyways, next up we had the uh, the best multiplayer game. Now, if you guys were to, to, to guess what is on this list, just go ahead. Just start guessing what's on the best multiplayer game of 2019 <clears> list. Apex Legends. Um, Call of Duty. Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Battlefield. You know, nope, whatever, didn't make it. Whatever one came Qu- up. Five, I guess. I don't know if that's... <laughs> Daisy. Daisy, <laughs> yeah. I don't actually know actually how the, 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 the awards for this work because some of these games seem to be from previous years, but you guys were, were on the right track. Apex Legends, which won Best Multiplayer Game, was on the list. And then oh, it was... Really? Bo- yep, it won. And, um, and then it was Borderlands 3, okay. uh, the new Call of Duty... The Division Two, which everyone forgot, came out this year. Oh yeah, because um, everyone forgot. That, yeah, <laughs> immediately everyone <laughs> forgot that it came out. And then uh, Tetris Ninety Nine, huh. which uh, I don't know if it's the ninety ninth Tetris, um, but no, it's Tetris Ninety Nine is a multiplayer game where ninety nine pl- players play against each other in Tetris. Wow, that sounds pretty fucking sick, to be honest. The, um, the, you know, it's like Planet Side Two, <laughs> except. <laughs> I just love the idea that someone was like, well, Battle Royales are hot. What Battle Royale have people not made? It's like, what if we just make Tetris a Battle Royale? And that's it. Like, that's that's it. It's 99 players playing Tetris together and one man survives. That's all you really need. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. 
And I was going to actually say that I think Apex Legends deserves to win because I feel like it's the best battle royale, but I just now learned there's a Tetris battle royale, so I can't I can't confidently say because that might be better than Apex Legends. Yeah, they were robbed for sure. <laughs> the Tetris. Yeah, te- yeah, the people at Arika uh, slash Nintendo Studio, uh, you were robbed of your best multiplayer game award by Apex Legends. Um, but I, I don't know. I like Apex. Have you guys played Apex? No, no, it's not my style. Trevor, yeah. it's more of your style, though, right? I I don't think so. I mean, I suppose. Um, you really enjoyed Titanfall 2. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of Titanfall 2 for a while, so I know it's the, the same, you know, Respawn developers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I haven't played it, um, but I hear it's great. You know, and here's another interesting thing about Apex Legends is just like Disco Elysium, it was one of those games that, like, no one had any idea anything about, and then it just was out. And all of a sudden, it was a huge success. Like, Origin, like, when uh, Apex Legends came out, the only real marketing push they did was they, like, reached out to some streamers, and they were like, hey, play Apex Legends. And um, they didn't really do, like, ads or anything. And all of a sudden, a ton of people started playing it because it's just, like, a solid game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, it looks like fun. I'm meaning to try it out. I just kind of grouped it in with Fortnite, which I'm not interested in. But, you know, it definitely seems to be a nice change of pace from the normal uh, battle royale in which I believe you have like teams of three. Yeah. So you have teams of three. It also has much faster movement. Um, Like you, you have a, like there's a character with a grappling hook and you can climb and slide and it's all, it's like Titanfall too, but a battle royale basically. Dope. Sure. I like the sound of that. Did uh, the division win anything? Uh, I don't think so. I'm looking at the, because it certainly gets, you know, my award for most fascist game of all time. <laughs> um, I, I wrote I wrote a review of the first one a while back and just how insane and bizarre it is that we accepted that, you know, there's an epidemic of all civilians. And rather than send in support, uh, the United States sends in the division, uh, basically uh, like Einsatzgruppen, to just gun down protesters and you know uh looters survivors survivors Mm -hmm. yeah um and it's like you know you'll get a mission that's like hey you need to go secure this food depot you got some rioters trying to steal it it's like oh is it because they're hungry is it because they're starving they're marooned on an island of like being hunted down um and uh i think it's super cool that none of us like thought that was weird that we all just kind of <laughs> accepted that like yeah that makes sense it's uh, like it's one of those things where in america like no one finds it weird but as soon as you like transfer the game to another country they're like wait so your government organization that's like shooting looters isn't that illegal and we're like oh no it's just the national guard simulator like that's yeah. what they do that's their job <laughs> they, they go to disaster zones and they shoot people trying to find food <laughs> yeah I they was... basically make it so you have to do the apocalypse on hard mode it's pretty good yeah I think the developer wanted to make it clear, though, that uh, the game is completely apolitical, that there is no political stance um, in, you know, taking over the White House or the, the Library of Congress or whatever the fuck you do. And, yeah, you know. you know, the the notoriously apolitical Tom Clancy uh, <laughs> yeah. is not at all propaganda for the American military uh, machine games. Yeah, no, to the division two, there's no political message to, we all need our guns to survive the apocalypse. Cause the, but it's like the, the good guy government. 
yeah. it's a good guy good guy cia jack ryan <laughs> i i love tom clancy i've never read anything by him and i never will but just the idea of this like uh like pudgy like 50 something year old man may he rest in peace uh you know tr- reminiscing about the days of war of which he never experienced this is all just fan fiction he's never you know he's just a dude he's just a writer um, but, you know, he goes out there and he wants to pretend that he won, um, you know, his dream was always to win a Medal of Honor at the Battle of Kent State University. And, <laughs> I mean, love him. I love him. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I think that Tom Clancy novels are like, it, it, people have like said that they're harmless because they're so dumb. Like they're like, no. they're harmless, but they're not. Yeah, exactly. The, it's like the most masturbatory military aggrandizing literature he's a stephen king of the military industrial complex <laughs> it's exactly he's so prolific yeah. it's like you just find out that some random book about hunting russian submarines is like also oh that was also a tom clancy novel i think that stephen king needs to get into military industrial complex books just to like take that title away from tom clancy just so he can be in all the genres. Yeah. Stephen King wrote all the books. I don't know if you know this, but like any piece of media that has come out in the last 20 years, Stephen King wrote it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, when, you get, when it gets down to it, war is the most horror of all. <laughs> it's the most horror of all. I actually make that argument a lot when I'm like thinking about what games to cover is like, you know, you, you play Call of Duty and you're like, I might as well be Jason Voorhees here or like something far, far worse. Cause Jason Voorhees just had a machete and killed some teenagers. I have like an, like, you know, Black Hawk helicopter and I'm like mowing down people that can't even shoot me back. You remember that scene? I want to say it's modern warfare two where you're in the gunship and you're just, it's modern warfare three and you're in the, the, yeah, the, uh, and you're just shooting at these little white dots. You have no idea who they are. You're shooting at random cars, random people, uh, and they're just ants to you and your character <laughs> has no qualms just blowing these people out of the, you know, you know, out of the sky. Uh, you're brushing them away as one would crumbs off of the table when you're done eating. Exactly. And it's, yeah, and it's supposed to be this heroic moment where um, our soldiers are pinned down time to get and, uh, take control of the gunship. And it's just, you, it's literally these little night vision figures firing little blasts of AKs in the distance. And you're just raining missiles and death. And they, they go from being white, hot, live targets to just nothing. They're gone. You never have to think about it again. Just, just erased. Yeah. Yeah. They, they didn't have to grow up and they didn't have families or loved ones. They're just gone now. Forever. We're all like, this is cool and normal. So anyways, best multiplayer game went to Apex Legends. Congratulations, Respawn Entertainment. Uh, you, you guys had the shooter that was more fun, and I'm glad that the more fun shooter won. Um, next up, we had the best strategy game, which went to uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is this is going to be a category that only I talk about because I'm a PC gamer. Uh, I think it probably should have gone to either Total War Three Kingdoms or Age of Wonders Planetfall because I don't know how Fire Emblem has gotten away with publishing the exact same game for like 30 years now. Uh, the first Fire Emblem came out in uh, 1842, I believe. Mm. Um, it's a, uh, well, let's see, the Fire Emblem series started <clears throat> in 1990. So they actually have been publishing the same game for almost 30 years now. And uh, I, I would say that if you play Fire Emblem and you go back to, like, I, I played on the Game Boy Advance, and you play the new one, and aside from better graphics, it's like the same fucking game. 
And uh, so I think it probably should have gone to Age of Wonders Planetfall, which did something new by mixing grand strategy with uh, tactics or Total War Three Kingdoms for being, um, I don't know, I just like Total War games. I'm totally fucking biased in this category. Yeah, but, I'm with uh, you on that. Yeah, Total War games fucking rock. Yeah, they, they are pretty dope. But uh, we're just going to move past that and get a best family game, which is hilarious because they, uh, the five Our nominees... Two. Last two, uh, the, well, the, you kill your family in that, and it came out in 2018, so, okay. Um, Jesse, get your fucking facts straight before you come on the real professional podcast. Um, <laughs> but we had uh, Luigi's Mansion 3, Ring Fit Adventure, Super Mario Maker 2, Super Mario Brothers Ultimate, and Yoshi's Crafted World. <laughs> which, I, yeah, yeah, literally all Nintendo games, but not only all Nintendo games, four out of five Mario games made nice. it onto the list. Nice. Uh, I I don't know what to say about that other than I guess Nintendo has their market, which is family games. Yeah. And uh, they make pretty good ones that I don't play. It's true. This is truly the meme where it it is Obama putting the medal on Obama, just congratulating (laughs) himself. Um, Yeah. Well, who who won it? I mean. Luigi's Mansion 3 won, and it was Nintendo because Nintendo was the only the only contestant. (laughs) You know, I I would have put Monster Hunter in there because, you know, for all the violence and the fighting monsters, it is very charming. And, like, you know, nobody dies. Nothing, there are no stakes. Your character just, like, you know, if you're fighting a monster and it dive bombs into you, this, like, 50-ton uh, dinosaur, like, stomps on you, you just get knocked out and you get carried home in, like, a little cart by some cats. Like, if that's not it the is- most child-friendly game, I don't know what is. It's a game where the stun animation is you have Tweety Birds over your head where your character goes, Whoa, and lollygags around. Yeah, and yeah. you have a cat canyon, so. A big lump, like, rises and, like, lifts the, uh, the you know, the helmet made of the dinosaur skin off your head. Okay, I guess <laughs> made of the part... wife of the, made, made the wife of the dinosaur you just murdered. <laughs> yeah, you had to fight and kill and uh, de- de-glove, like, ten dinosaurs for that hat. <laughs> <laughs> strip for parts yeah, yeah. Um, so i guess that is pretty uh violent and insane so yeah, what about the slaughter of all of the monsters um, i think the worst part is when you oh have... i actually have an answer for this um lore wise you're not actually hunting the same monster over and over again lore wise you only hunt each monster once so in the in the actual canon of monster hunter you only hunt each one once to study it and all those subsequent hunts that you do to grind out pieces are just retellings of the same story. Okay. I guess that kind of makes sense. Because I was going to say it's really disturbing mm. when you capture a monster and they still give you parts. Like, they mm-hmm. still, you're still rewarded with, like, monster bones. It's like they, they kept this poor beast alive while they're, like, extracting parts from it. Yeah. <laughs> so... I yeah. guess that fits in with, you know, you hunt it once. You know, they were shooting for the, the T rating. Um, if they were going for M, they would just end up looking like Red Dead Redemption, just skinning alive all of the monster, <laughs> all the animations. Blood splattering on the screen. Yeah, blood Scra- you, you'd be like l- lurking into the, I don't know, the uh, uh, Anjaneth. I think that's one of the monsters. Or the Yargus's Jargus. You'll be sneaking into its nest to like skin the children because their skin sells for the most. Like, exactly. And then it's like comes back and it's enraged because you killed its family. Yeah. Yeah. And then you throw some Molotovs, burn it down, and go to the next one. I am surprised that um, Star Wars wasn't 
uh, nominated for Best Family Game because we all know that Star Wars is now a story about family. It's a yeah, meme. And, and the friends we made along the way. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's just, it's, it's a song about, it's a story about family. Um, okay, next up we had Best Fighting Game, which went to Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, which, I mean, honestly, like, it's hard to judge, like, which is the best fighting game because, like, a more seriously, like, a lot of these fighting systems are really, like, niche. Like, the fighting game genre is in general niche, but each fighting game system has its own uh, system that people really like. So the nominees were uh, Dead or Alive 6, Jump Force, uh, Mortal Kombat 11, Samurai Showdown, and Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate won because, of course, it did because these things are a popularity contest. And uh, but you know, each of those games, like Mortal Kombat, has a pretty significantly different system than Dead or Alive Six. And yeah. that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I personally prefer the. Uh, oh God, what is the name of that system? Have, they, have either of you ever played Guilty Gear? I've heard of it. Um, I think it's the Arc system. Uh. What's that one uh, where anybody can put in their characters? You're talking about like, Mugen. You're Mugen. talking about Mugen. I was, it's like yeah. Ronald McDonald versus Dio. <laughs> if no one's ever watched Salty Bets, like, do it. So saltybets.com is a website where they have an AI, two AIs fighting each other from Mugen. And Mugen, as Jesse just explained, is any character that anyone can think of to put in the game and bother to program a moveset for. So the AI will be like, you're playing as SSJ Goku stage 72 versus a killer whale. And then you get to bet on which one wins. And the killer whale wins every time because the killer whale is OP and his grapples are unblockable. So it's like, and he grapples across the map. So of course, but anyways, like it's, it's just like a great fucking way to waste time is, and uh, it's, it's, you see how much salt you can get salt bucks. They're, they're really valuable. And the more you bet, the more free money you get. It's, it's a great addiction simulator, to be honest. I'll have to try that out. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but I, would, I did look it up. Guilty Gear is based off the Arc system. So for all you nerds out there, those are my favorite kinds of fighting games. But I will never fucking learn your stupid long attack combos to figure out how to get a 75-hit combo with the combination of aerial juggles with light into heavy attacks or whatever. I just think that they're fun because they got the most colorful characters. But, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fighting game guy. I'm like, I always say that I'm like the level of fighting game player that like I'm good enough at video games in general that I can go to a place where like no one's played before and usually win. But as soon as anyone has to start practicing, I get like the floor wiped with me. And I, 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 I like, like they just wipe the floor with me and it's like, and that's the point where fighting games stop being fun to me. Like if you're at home practicing a fighting game, like you don't have friends. Yeah. Absolutely true. Um, definitely. I've never uh, practiced a fighting game like, you know, Lethal League or or Skullgirls or anything like that just to uh, try and beat the shit out of my friends because um, I keep getting my ass kicked every time. No, that's never happened. That's good because yeah. otherwise we would judge you really hard. Yeah, yeah, it's never <laughs> happened. I've never tried to main big band. and. Um, <laughs> you know. yeah i don't know it's it's very similar to guitar hero which is that like you can kind of get sucked into a hole and try to get really good at it but if you do then you're just the worst guy at the party yeah yeah that's for sure it's like you're never gonna be the dude that just dominates people as like fucking pikachu and smash brothers and then someone's like well i gotta suck your dick now <laughs> yeah but that's the fantasy right i mean you gotta yeah try. you gotta try uh-huh you're going to see the girl across the room with the Pikachu hat and her, her Pikachu onesie and you're going to dominate as Pikachu and you guys are going to yeah. lock eyes and yeah, she's, she's going to be like... She's dressed up like Misty and you know what? Yeah, you're wearing your Pikachu um, pajamas and um, stupid fucking hat. I don't know what you would call those, but... 
Yeah. Is, you would call them stupid fucking hats. Yeah, stupid, the correct way to put it. Stupid fucking hats. <laughs> uh, yeah. Next up, we had the best RPG, which went to Disco Elysium again. But I did want to bring this one up real quick because one of the nominees – so there are uh, five nominees. There was Final Fantasy uh, 14. There were Kingdom Hearts 3, uh, which neither of those should have won because Kingdom Hearts 3 was a bad game and Final Fantasy 14 is an MMO. So what are they doing? And then, uh, but the two other nominees were uh, The Outer Worlds and Monster Hunter World Iceborne, which, uh, you know, you guys played Outer Worlds, you have opinions on that, and you also have played Monster Hunter World. Um, I think Monster Hunter World Iceborne should have won something because it's fucking awesome. Uh, but I actually also don't think it's an RPG. Yeah, so. I was just going to say, there, there are no choices there except what <laughs> flesh are you going to put on yourself? You literally time? just choose a loadout, yeah. There's no leveling up in the game, and there's no like dialogue choices. It's just like, what monster do I hunt? And what kind but of it is a dope fucking game. It, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, uh, the Outer Worlds, though, I'm you know somewhat disappointed. Like you know, it's uh, it's nice it was nominated, but um, I don't know. I could see that uh, definitely winning under different circumstances. Um, I can't really comment on Disco Elysium. Um, I'm sure it's great, but uh, I thought The Outer Worlds was great, too. Um, you know, Outer Worlds is one of these games that got a shit ton of buzz when it came out, and it's kind of dying down, and I feel like it didn't deserve all the buzz it got. It only got the buzz because Fallout has been dropping the ball so hard, but yeah. I don't... I, I think The Outer Worlds is a good game, but if you look at it holistically versus something like Dragon Age or, you know, a, a lot of these other... Even Fallout New Vegas, like, I didn't feel like The Outer Worlds was as compelling as a game as Fallout New Vegas. Kind of agree with you. Um, it seems like uh, I don't know. I think they did the best they could with um, you know whatever types of limitations they had on um, like budget or uh, team size or I, I don't really know what Obsidian's um, like uh, what their situation is. But um, I thought there was a lot there. I thought there was a lot of depth um, in like just dialogue and story. Um, and yeah, well, the gameplay was a step up as well. Um, so uh, for a bit of a deeper uh, dive into uh, Outer Worlds, it was published by Private Division, and Private Division is a uh, subsidiary of Take-Two Interactive. So it's like there was money behind yeah. it because Take-Two Interactive is like – Take-Two Interactive owns Rockstar and 2K. So Take-Two owns Private Division, which published – uh, outer worlds so it's not exactly an indie game yeah I, I i don't mean to imply that uh i guess i'm comparing just obsidian and bethesda and like you said um bethesda's been dropping the ball hard and um and obsidian not so much uh, you know well obsidian like so they have published titles that are like legitimately indie like um they put out uh, Pillars of Eternity, which was like super indie, and I think that it and Tyranny, which were games that really, really like shook up the market, and I, I really love it. But um, it's like the 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 Outer Worlds when people are saying, "Oh, it's like a small indie studio." It's like when people say The Witcher Three was like a small indie game from like a four hundred person studio. Right. Yeah, Obsidian Entertainment has two hundred employees. I just looked it up. They're not indie at all. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a lot, that's a lot of people. In terms of just being a good RPG, um, I'm not like an old school RPGer, uh, but I do think I know what I like in an RPG. And um, Obsidian, uh, not the, the Outer Worlds, um, 
ticked a lot of those boxes, you know? Um, yeah, especially with where RPGs have been going. Like, I wouldn't say that Obsidian ranks in my top five of all time RPGs, but it was definitely top five of the year. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, The Outer Worlds. Did I say Obsidian or The Outer Worlds? Uh, the Outer Worlds. Yeah, The Outer Worlds. I, I made the same mistake. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I, I guess I, I kind of agree that maybe they don't deserve best RPG, but, um, you know, nomination, that's cool, too. Yeah. So uh, next up, we had Best Action Adventure Game, which this is where Monster Hunter Iceborne, World Iceborne should have been. Uh, but it went to Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which is, you know, I think it's up for discussion whether Sekiro or Monster Hunter is better. But the other games that were in this category were uh, Borderlands 3, Control, Death Stranding, Resident Evil 2, and uh, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. I don't think it should have gone to Zelda. Uh, Resident Evil 2 is a horror game. I guess it's an action-adventure game, but it's a horror game, which didn't have a fucking category. Uh, Death Stranding is not an action-adventure game. Control is an action-adventure game. And uh, Borderlands 3 is a shooter. So I don't, I don't fucking know what this category is even supposed to be. You know, they're all trying their best. I mean, to be fair, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice was one of the best action-adventure games of the year. Uh, I also think that Control was one of the best action-adventure games of the year. Uh, I don't think that the rest of these were action-adventure games. I mean, is Death Stranding an action-adventure game? Is that how you would classify it? It's, it's an adventure, I guess. Not a whole lot of action. A little bit of action. It's a Kojima game, is the way I'd put it. They should have just had a category for best Kojima production of the year. <laughs> yeah, if Nintendo gets one, then Kojima does too. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that'll that'll come up in a second here where uh, Death Stranding got nominated the same time in multi in the same category. So That category would be uh, Fever Dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would be going up against Slavoj Zizak in like Fever Dream categories. And uh, it was it was good. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about the action adventure game category, mostly because I think the category that the way that they constructed it is shitty. Sekiro was good. Sekiro was <laughs> good. I think that Monster Hunter uh, World Iceborne um, like is in a weird spot though, because I think Monster Hunter World actually came out last year, and Iceborne was the the expansion that came out this year. Um, but if you're going to take Iceborne and consider it its own thing, I definitely think it deserves to win something because oh, it's so absolutely. fucking massive. Yeah. There's like so much content in this DLC. Anyways, we're just going to move on past that one because, uh, I think the category is dumb. Uh, then we had best action game because, you know, gotta, you gotta have action and then action adventure. Uh, uh, best action game was Devil May Cry 5. Uh, the other ones in the list were Apex Legends, which is a shooter, Astral Chain, uh, which is a platinum game, so that makes sense. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which is a shooter. Gears of War 5, which is a shooter. And Metro Exodus, which is a shooter. So good job, Devil May Cry 5, for winning by default. Uh, any opinions on that, guys? I feel like uh, Metro Exodus, underrated. Um, that could have won the category, you know? Um, I think it's the only game I played out of that whole category, so maybe I'm biased. But um, yeah. But I love the shit out of that game. I thought it was great. Um, that kind of is, <laughs> uh, that's sort of action adventure in my opinion. Um, but like we said, these lists, um, the way they're constructed, it's, it's pretty, pretty bananas. So. Yeah, I, I have no idea why Metro Exodus would be considered action and not an action adventure, while yeah. something like uh, Resident Evil 2 would be action adventure, which is like on rails. And like, well, exactly. the, the Resident Evil 2 is like, yeah, control. 
like relatively strict in like what you do. Whereas Exodus has this giant open world, so right. Yeah, it makes and, sense. And uh, oh my god, you find things to gear up your guns and level up. So it's technically an RPG. It should have been in the best RPG categories, guys. Yeah, totally. And it, your your team is kind of like a family. So you know what? Let's let's put it in the fucking family category too. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Did any of you play Devil May Cry 5, or am I the only one? Nah. Yes, it's you. Just all you. All me. Uh, Devil May Cry 5 did it deserve to win Best Action Game of the Year. Well, because it's the only action game on this list, it definitely won out of this list. Uh, compared to all the action games that came out this year, um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head of other action games I played this year, but uh, Devil May Cry 5 was good. I am not a huge fan of it, because I actually really liked the Ninja Theory DMC game that they came out with. Um that a lot of fans didn't like because they made Dante have a character and a personality that wasn't super edgelord. And uh, people didn't like that because Devil May Cry 5 is a game for nostalgia-baiting weebs. So uh, there you go. Uh, but combat mechanics were pretty good, so whatever. Uh, you know what? Devil May Cry 5 is like... It's one of those games where there's not enough buttons to do everything that they want. So it's like, hey, if you want to do your super move, you got to uh, quarter-circle your controller and then attack and then wait a second and then full circle and then hit the button it's it just doesn't work with the flow of content combat so you end up button smashing but to its credit you can get through the game by button smashing you just don't won't get the coolest ranking so whatever that's all i have to say about devil may cry 5 uh then there was best vr slash ar game which went to beat saber and i don't care do you guys care nah. i don't care um cool good, good for them it looks like fun never done beat yep. vr <laughs> Uh, then we got Best Mobile Game, which went to Call of Duty Mobile. Do you guys care about that? No. Nope. Cool. Moving on. Uh, Best Independent Game, which went to Disco Elysium, won again. Uh, the other nominees were uh, Baba Is You, Katana Zero, Outer Wilds, an Untitled Goose Game. Uh, I think Disco Elysium is probably the best of that list for being the, the fullest game. I don't know what the difference is between Best Indie Game and Fresh Indie Game, so I think this is a silly, redundant category. Um, I think they probably had more indie games that they wanted to give uh, nominations for than they had slots, which doesn't make sense because three of these are the same nominees for fresh indie game. <laughs> so if you find yourself with more than 50% overlap in two of your categories that have the same word in it, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a redundant category. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's uh, that's bizarre. Um... Uh, I will give a shout out to Baba is You, though, which is a, a hilarious game where you change words to change the, the properties of the world. So it's like a hacking game, but you'll be like wall equals solid and you'd be like wall and then you move a block that says like there is no wall. And maybe then you change the word river to river be solid so you can push things over a river. It's pretty cute. Nice. Sounds pretty dope. Yep. Um, then we had games for impact, which is uh, games that make you it's a category that a lot of people are deriding but i'm actually like a pretty big fan of it it's it's games that like have a message and uh talk about deeper issues so uh gris won it or grease grice however it's pronounced it's french so who knows uh is won it and it was that's a game that's uh good um basically it's about her crumbling mental state and um other nominees were concrete genie kind words Life is Strange 2 and Sea of Solitude. Uh, all games that are worth your time if you're into games that are trying to have a message. Uh, but I also, um, this was probably the funniest part of the night because the awards for Games for Impact was presented by uh, the Muppets. <laughs> uh, they had uh, Beaker and, what's the name of the, the, the fucking scientist Muppet? 
Uh, isn't that Beaker? Um, no, Beaker is the, the the one that looks like a Beaker. He's got the mouth. He's murmur, murmur, murmur. okay. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, Googling Be- Be- Beaker Muppet. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Bunsen Honeydew. Ah, yeah. yes, Beaker and Bunsen. That's right. Now I remember. There you go. And uh, they they then it was if you have this if you want to watch any clip of the show watch this where it's the Muppets and they're doing this adorable little sketch where it's about the goose game and then oh they have the goose come on and there's a Muppet goose oh it's so adorable they're like no games for impact for games with positive social messages goes to Greece and then like the two French developers it pans to them like immediately and they're like so embarrassed (laughs) that they're getting their award from Muppets. And it's not like the Muppets are off stage; like they go up to accept their awards, and the Muppets are just like right there. <laughs> They're like, "Thanks, Muppets, for giving us this award. It's it's really great." And then after that, we had um, best performance, which is where the the this actually fits into what we're talking about later with the uh, actors from Detroit Become Human. Uh, we had Mads Mikkelsen winning as Cliff from Death Stranding. Uh, also nor- nominated was Norman Reedus from Death Stranding. Uh, Matthew Porretta as uh, Dr. Casper Darling from Control. Uh, Laura Bailey as Kat Diaz from Gears 5. Courtney Hope as uh, the main character from Control. And Ashley Birch. I didn't know Ashley Birch was uh, Parvati from uh, Outer Worlds. And she did a great job as that character. Yeah, totally. She was kind of the best part. Um, definitely, yeah. Definitely the most wholesome of the bunch. Yeah, that, that sounds like uh, all, all good, uh, <clears throat> all good uh, you know, people nominated. Yeah. So I think won. that... Um, yeah, it was Matt Mickelson. He won for uh, Death Stranding. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, Jesse, uh, you're the Death Stranding resident Death Stranding expert. Was he good in that game? He was very good. Was he better than Norman Reedus in that game? He was better than Norman Reedus in that game, though. Oh, so they got this one right. Good job, guys. Good job, Game Awards. Yay. Yeah. You, got, uh, you got this one right. I mean, it's very close. It's hard to quantify because they were both so incredible. But uh, yeah. I don't know. I like Matt Mickelson. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's interesting that we're getting to a point where you can have a best performance award in a game show and it not be like a joke, you know, because, uh, you know, the previous best performances were uh, Barry Burton from Resident Evil for saying you were almost a Jill sandwich. So uh, we've come a long way. And um, I think that all of these people, the ones that we just listed, did a very good job in their roles. And um I think it's it's uh, worth worth recognizing. So good job on this one, uh, Jeff Keighley and the Game Awards. Um, but moving on, best audio design. Nope, don't care. Do any of you care? Um, I don't music, know. Music or audio design? No, not music. Audio design. Nah. So this is like which game had the best gunshots? Ask skip it. Don't care. It's clearly <laughs> uh, clearly um, Call of Duty. It won. You're right. You are correct. Yeah, yeah it's got to be. <laughs> Uh, next one is uh, best score slash music, which went to uh, Death Stranding. I'm, yeah, I'm inclined to agree. It's pretty uh, good. I think it, sh- it should have gone to Sayonara Wild Hearts. Sayonara Wild Hearts is a uh, it's like um it's like an album game. It's like the whole game is an album. I'll just take your word for it. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. Um, I mean, Death Stranding. It's it's a popularity contest. I think we've established that. Um, yeah. And um, I, I don't know. The the music seemed to be like kind of the best part. It played a major role because like <laughs> the world, you're just kind of just like walking through it, and it's sort of uh, just a vast and you know kind of empty environment. And uh, the music kind of uh, I don't know colors the world in a in a lot of ways. 
You know what I actually think should have been nominated for this, but wouldn't because it's a popularity contest. That game you've been playing, Jimmy, the Jesse, the the Hobo Simulator. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Water tastes where, where the water tastes like yeah, wine. That one's good. That's a cool. That's a cool looking game. I was over at your place and checking it out, and it's just you're kind of a, a skeleton hobo walking around uh, Dust Bowl, Depression era uh, America, and they just got this kind of like folk music playing the whole time. I was like, that's really good. It's, it's, it's dope. Highly recommend. Yeah, big shout out to where the water tastes like wine. Um, but I do think this should have gone to Sayonara Wild Hearts. Devil May Cry 5 was nominated, which is fucking hilarious because like all the Devil May Cry music is like what you would have thought was like super cool when you were 14. Oh, yeah. It's uh, yeah. There's yeah. something to be said for that, though. Um, you know, Platinum also did Revengeance, which has one of the best soundtracks of all time. Just like heavy metal, uh, K-pop dubstep with yeah, uh, like cuss like lyrics about the bosses and their story like <laughs> holy shit it was it was incredible i i agree with you that it fits the setting of the game it's just not something that i'd ever like thrown in the car and like and it's definitely also not the focus like i think that sayonara wild hearts definitely should have won for this because the focus of sayonara wild hearts is the music and um i think that if you're going to have like a best music uh category it should go to something where the music is like really the focus like would you ever i don't know maybe the the stranding album you'd listen to by itself but like would you ever listen to the devil may cry 5 album by yourself uh like if you're trying to be a productive normal member of society Nah, i don't i'm I'm just not cool enough you know i don't i don't think i'm there yet um yeah oh fuck i hope jesper kid didn't do the soundtrack for that i'd be real embarrassed if he did he was on our (laughs) podcast yeah yeah no i I could we can cut it if he was i can't see him (laughs) Doing, doing something like that yeah i think he did uh he should have you know what borderlands 3 should have been nominated for this because he did that soundtrack and he's really good agreed that soundtrack was dope it was it was fucking sick yeah there we go hot take um next up is uh best art direction which went to control um this is one that i have more of an opinion on than probably most people which is like art direction for a game is like how well you create the world and how well you allow the player to interact with that world. Uh, Control one also nominated was uh, Gris, Sinar, Wild Hearts, Sekiro, Legend of Zelda, Death Stranding. I guess they just had fifty games they could choose from for all of these. Not even fifty, maybe like twenty-five. They just had to keep choosing from those twenty-five. Maybe they were the ones that paid for advertising, but who knows? Um, but Control won, and I definitely think it deserved it. Uh, I'm a really big fan of Control. I thought it was an amazing game, and it set up this amazing world, uh, extended world from Alan Wake. And um, in terms of really drawing me into the wanting to see more of this world and feeling like I was a part of it, Control did a fantastic job. So, You guys have any uh, hot takes on Best Art Direction? Yeah, I think you covered it. All right. Well, next up was uh, Best Narrative, which was uh, Disco Elysium won again. Uh, other nominees were The Outer Worlds, Death Stranding, Control, and A Plague Tale Innocence. And um, I really love the shout out to A Plague Tale Innocence in this. Plague Tale was like probably the most surprising IP of the year for me. I was not expecting to... It's like a focus home interactive game who traditionally put out kind of like B-tier games. And this game in certain ways was not like triple a quality but it was like it did have a really great emotive story and um it's one that has stuck with me so if you haven't played a plague tale you definitely should completely agree man um and i mean i think this is one where they finally got the category right um and yeah shout out to plague tale um in a sense the the narrative in that um incredible yeah i i think that it's it's i really if it's 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 the the best 
marker of a game for me if the narrative was good is that I would like to see more of this world. But if they don't, I'm satisfied with what the story I got was, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, Jesse, totally did you agree. play Plague Tale? Uh, more or less. I was watching Trevor play. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's good. So if anyone out there hasn't played it yet, definitely check out Plague Tale Innocence. Um, next category was best ongoing game, which went to Fortnite. So anyone want to talk about Fortnite? Either of you care? No. No. Cool. Moving on. Best game direction, which of course uh, was the Hideo Kojima Award for you created your own studio and made Death Stranding and Aren't You So Special. Um, this award for best game direction was only ever going to go to Hideo Kojima because he's the most famous game director right now. The other nominees were Control, uh, Resident Evil 2, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, and uh, Outer Wilds, which Sekiro Shadows Die Twice is the only one I could see uh, also being a contender because it is uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki, who is known for the Dark Souls series. He has a very strong uh, voice in the game world in terms of uh, his artistic voice. Uh, the rest of them, I, I can't even, I don't even know who the you know director of control or resident evil or the outer wilds was um actually the funny thing is is that uh remy actually knows the guy that made the outer wilds our frequent co-host remy um but we all know that hideo kojima was going to win this one yeah and because of that there's no real discussion to be had this is the hideo kojima award this is the joke we were making there's nothing there's it's just him he's the, the the strongest voice right now in gaming so absolutely then there was the big one, Game of the Year, which you guys already know was Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Other nominees were Control, Death Stranding, Resident Evil 2, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, and The Outer Worlds. So, what do we think of the Game of the Year award, or the Game of the Year category? What do we think about the winner? What do we think is left out? What? Yeah. Go. Yeah, go. Yeah. I mean, Monster Hunter won my heart. I think that Monster Hunter is like one that we can't really like have as game of the year because it was only the DLC that came out this year, you know? Well, Iceborne added like another half to the game, so I Iceborne won my heart, you know. Yeah. I mean, and that's probably the one that uh I, I think if you're gonna be judging a game of the year though, it has to be like a game that stands on its own. Um and I, I will you can argue, of course, that's that it does stand on its own, uh the Iceborne expansion, but it is definitely an expansion to the game. Um, other than that, you know, I, I mean, Trevor pointed it out correctly. Like it's a pool of like 20 different AAA games and then, uh, you know, a couple categories of indie games. Like it, it really is like just a big industry wide circle jerk. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, the reviews are what matter most, like the player reviews. Yeah, I'm. All, I mean, the player, <laughs> the player, the player pick for best game of the year was Fire Emblem Three Houses. So the player opinions okay. in this case do not matter. I, I will retract that because I forgot that. Um, we're gamers, you know, yeah. Gamers are the lowest cast. Uh, they're, they're less than dogs. <laughs> Subhuman. Um, yeah. They do not deserve games. Myself especially. Yeah, I uh, I think that um, it's like uh, you guys still there? Yeah, yes, sir. Okay, cool. I just it just sounded like it was uh, cut out for a second. I think that uh, this category is is weird because a lot of the like some of the good games that I would like nominate are games that like aren't really games that came out this year. Like um, Monster Hunter Iceborne is one, but also like Resident Evil Two. Like, can it really win Game of the Year when it's just a remake of Resident Evil? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's cheating. <laughs> that's cheating. Um, 
and then you know we definitely see that these are all games that are within like the mainstream zeitgeist of like games like no indie games were nominated for game of the year um you know this isn't like uh when telltale's the walking dead won game of the year and it was like that was probably the best game that came out that year um but uh it's I don't know outer outer. So I'm looking at other lists right now and outer wilds is getting a lot of like huge acclaim. I haven't played it. So maybe I should before I make any like strong decisions, but uh, I don't know. It was nice to see that uh call of duty didn't get nominated. I should stop shitting on call of duty. Their PR people are so nice to me. <laughs> um, uh, it's like, I don't know. I, I think the game of the year is like, when you're going to have a game of the year award, it's going to be what was the most popular mainstream game this year of this list of like six, because like I've probably put more time myself personally into like total war three kingdoms than I have into any of these games. So sure. Um, so my opinion, uh, I mean the, the list is fine. I agree with, uh, with like many of it and Sekiro winning is cool with me too. Um, some omissions that I think are, uh, you know, pretty glaring, um, just for me personally, I guess, is, uh, Metro Exodus. I feel like that deserves to be in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was actually just going to say that that Metro Exodus kind of seems to have gotten snubbed despite being, you know, in my opinion, it, one of the top five games of the year for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like a lot of people just forgot that it came out this year. I don't know. Um. But yeah, it's one of the best games I've played. I think um, this year. Oh, at least. and that's that's the funny thing too is like I'm looking at these, and aside from Sekiro, all of these kind of came out towards the end of the year, <laughs> to yeah. be just in time for award season. Sure. Uh, yeah. And I feel um, like um, Star Wars was popular as hell too. So why why isn't that um, the Fallen well, the Order? Yes, reason it's not getting on the game of the year list is because Jesse gave it a two out of two and a half out of five. So, Ooh, is that right? He, he oh, he's the one that killed it. Oh, dude, what the hell? He didn't like it. I didn't like it. <laughs> one I kind of so. liked. It. I half liked it. That's why I gave it. You know, two and a half. <laughs> two and a half. <laughs> gave it a two and a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, for an EA game to to get higher than that, it needs to actually do something special. You know. Right. Yeah. I, we've been hurt too many times before. <laughs> it's like retroactively getting downgraded for crimes of the past yeah you just see an e and an a on the cover and you're just like oh hell no yeah it's we should be challenging everything about ea games that's their old slogan it was ea games challenge everything oh, i'm damn. the only one yeah because i'm an old man <laughs> i'd say metro exodus definitely should have should have made the list um I'm like, I'm like actually like having trouble remembering what games I loved this year. You know, I think that I'm reviewing Phoenix point right now. And while I don't necessarily think it should be game of the year, I, I think that, I mean, especially cause the, like there are state games still coming out this year, you know? And, uh, I mean, we're close to the end, but you know, like, uh, dark Siders Genesis came out before it was able to be in contention for the game of the year awards and same with uh, phoenix point not that i think either of those would have been nominated but it is kind of funny you know that we have to we have to have well if the game of the year award doesn't come out before december no one's going to care we got to be the first ones out so they kind of positioned it so that it was early early to release um and i, I don't know i just i don't really care <laughs> yeah ultimately these all mean nothing i'm with you yep 
Yeah, I, I, it's always fun to go, oh, my favorite game got nominated, but all of my favorite games are like indie horror games. So it's, it's never going to get nominated. Like none of the, the, the horror games that I really loved of this year are, are going to see, I mean, like Song of Horror came out this year and it, it's fucking amazing. And like, it's never going to, like, it's never going to see representation on this stage. It's crazy that Disco Elysium saw this much representation, but I think the only reason it's seeing this rep- much representation is because a bunch of streamers picked it up. And, you know, if a bunch of people are talking about it, oh, then it can be on the game of the year list. But, like, I don't I don't think that, like, the, the people that are making these votes are going through and playing every game of the year to find out where the hidden gems are to give them a spotlight. It's just a, a bunch of people saying, oh, these were our favorite games. Let's all party. Like, I don't feel like the the... If video games are going to evolve to be more like mainstream culture and such as they as they have, uh, I would rather see it evolve differently than movies have with just these categories for like best drama or best like. But like the cool thing about the Academy Awards is that you also see individuals like best cinematography. You get to like recognize this person for something that they did. And, um, you know, with with this is like I want to see like best composer. I want to see like best new artist like i want to see something that like is going to make me involved in the industry itself because like making a game is like so many moving parts that i don't want to just see like the best game of the year i want to see like the people that made that possible you know yeah exactly um and it is kind of like almost insulting to see you know call of duty which has been done every year for the past 20 years uh continue to get awards for essentially the same game um you know they're good games don't get me wrong but it's like uh you know if fast and furious won like an award every year you know yeah yeah it would it would get i I just or transformers or something transformers or star wars with the newest star wars movie won an award every year for being the most star wars of star wars exactly yeah um but, you know, as, as, as someone who, who is a little bit more invested in the industry, I mean, these award shows are not necessarily for people who are hyper-invested in the world of video games. They're invested in the world of video games to the extent that they play video games and they enjoy them and they'll probably recognize every game on the list. But they're not, like, meeting the developers. They're not, like, working with these people. And I would, like, if an industry show is going to exist, I'd rather see the individuals get recognized for their hard work than just these 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 games but I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe that's unrealistic, but that's my hot take. I think all we can do is work to nationalize the gaming industry. Yeah, we, yeah once we uh, socialize all games and we get our free 10 games from Bernie Sanders a month, it'll be easier for us to play all the games that deserve it. Absolutely. 10 Disco Elysiums. <laughs> Disco Elysium is mandatory education to pass high school. Yeah, exactly. that'd be good. It's a step in the right direction, I guess, honestly. Um, yeah, finding possession of a Call of Duty. I, I need I need to stop shitting on Call of Duty. It's not that bad of a game. It's just easy to shit on. Uh, finding possession of Fallout 76 would be punishable by jail. There we go. Yeah, or beat up on <laughs> uh, Assassin's Creed a little bit. That you know. I think the possession of Fallout 76 should be legal, but distribution is definitely something we can discuss about uh, criminalizing. Yeah. Hard time for distributors of Fallout 76. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Anyways, um, guys, 
uh, thank you so much for uh, going over the uh, the awards season with me. It's uh, you know, like I said, it's it's an industry back padding show, but I, I I do I do enjoy the spectacle of it. I think spectacle is fun. I just w- want there to be spectacle that better recognizes the the individuals and the hardworking people behind these games rather than just uh, the giant names behind you know the giant titles supported by hundred million dollar contracts so for sure yeah yeah, de- yeah definitely thanks for having me this was uh this was cool yeah and uh, anyways guys stay tuned because uh we got the detroit become human people coming up next so go ahead and stick around and uh, we'll be back after this quick break Hello, and welcome back to Real Professional. Uh, Hope you enjoyed our lovely musical interlude, as always, with our excellent editing. We're here today with Brian and Amelia Deckhart from uh, the Detroit Become Human game. So how are you guys doing today? We're good. How are you doing? Yeah, doing great. Uh, I'm okay. Tired. I was stuck in LA traffic for like five hours yesterday, which is always a great way to spend a a day. uh... Oh, yes. (laughs) LA (laughs) traffic. Hmm. I, I've like ranted about it a few times on the podcast, but ever since like moving there, it's become like a like a perpetual fixture in my life. It feels like like the the third in my polycule relationship, where it's just like we always have to consider the traffic and like what the traffic wants and what the traffic needs. It makes you want to stay home and play video games, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it does. Luckily, I have one of those fake internet jobs where I get to stay home and play video games for most of the time. So perfect. <laughs> yeah, um, Jesse, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just woke up and uh, very clear-headed and not groggy and uh, trying to connect words together. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and of course you just woke up, you know, and then recorded the discussion, which comes first, which we always plan ahead for oh, because fuck. we're yep. real professionals. Oh, yeah, I yep. forgot. Yep, Shit. we're not doing that later and editing it in. Nope. All right. Uh, <laughs> we're going to cut that. Cut that. Ah, fuck. Nope, that stays in. Um, anyways, uh, so I just wanted to kick things off because, um, you know, I've I've I've, I've kind of had this like grown this fascination with uh, the the adjacent parts of the industry that you wouldn't necessarily think as part of the video game industry. So we interviewed um, one of the actors from uh, who did the the modeling work for uh, Call of Duty stuff. And um, it's like, you know, there's there's these industries that have grown out of video games that you wouldn't expect. Because when you think about video game jobs, you think of programmer, you think of artist maybe, you think of uh, design. But there's like a whole industry of like the people that like, you know, make the music. And, you know, then then there's you guys who play the characters, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's a uh, big world. Yeah. And so I, I'm just curious, did you get into this from the side of being uh, video game fans or from being uh, actors? Wow. Uh, well, I mean, there were probably over 200 people that worked on Detroit Become Human. So uh, you're definitely right to say there's tons and tons of different 
disciplines required and and artistic avenues people come into working on video games from uh for us it was both by virtue of the acting um audition for it much like you know audition for a film or a tv show um with a casting director susan goddard smythe who's a wonderful wonderful casting director and uh the entire experience was much more like film and television or even theater than more what you'd consider traditional vo going into a booth and recording you know lines off a sheet mm-hmm yeah, but it's it's a weird experience though because with a a traditional film shoot, like you know what the story is, you know, like the whole story, and you have a sense of the characters' continuity throughout. Because um, a lot of people that like at home they just think that you shoot films in order and then it's done, but that's not really how it is. Like you know, you have the script, you know what you're doing, but you shoot out of order for to to save you know, basically cost. Um, but in, in a game like this where there's branching paths, not only are you like shooting out of order, but you have to shoot out of like different emotional sets based on where the character would be at that time, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're working from, um, we would have some groups of scenes, some things that were organized by, we would need a platform or this wall is going to be brought in to represent a certain thing so that there was minimal set changes. But other than that, you're right that pretty much everything could happen in any possible sequence as far as the recording of it is concerned, because so little is required on set besides the actors. And um, that I knew pretty much nothing (laughs) outside of the scenes that I was given for that, you know, week or two of filming at a time, which would happen, you know, with months in between. So Kara's story, Marcus's story, I mean, besides the things that we filmed at the very end of the game, I had literally no idea what was going on. I, I imagined Connor as much more of a supporting character than it seems he he's evolved into. And uh, I'm really excited to see how everything is stitched together. It's one of the reasons we started streaming on Twitch was to play through all the different permeations and possibilities because we filmed them all out of sequence and you know months apart from one another so it's really exciting to see it all come together in the final game yeah no i mean it's i i is it weird playing like because i i have trouble watching myself in interviews without being like uh, my hair. You know, like you guys have been on camera. You know what it's Your like. Your hair looks you... great right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. But uh, like, it's it's is it? What's the level of surrealism that you go through when you're not necessarily watching yourself in a film shoot, but you're watching yourself being recreated as a character in a game? Is there like some kind of uncanny valley cognitive dissonance that goes into that? I mean, of course, it's very trippy to see yourself. Um, on screen or in a game or anything, there's always that first instinct of like, whoa, okay. And for me, I, I always fight against my first instinct, which is to pick apart everything I don't like. Um, but, you know, as as the, the more the more I've been watching myself, the, um, the nicer I've become <laughs> to myself because, <laughs> you know, there's nothing that you can do about it after the fact. You can only learn from it. And as opposed to picking apart the things that I don't like, I try also now to focus on the things that I do like as well so that I'm, you know, being more constructive and not as just uh, um, self-sabotaging. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was crazy to see the Tracy's because it's Amelia's likeness and her voice and even more characters, but it's her with like she has neither short red hair nor long blue hair and they're both very much her but it's not her so what you say about yeah. the uncanny valley is there like we're i think that the people that know me 
less in my life or like that looks exactly like you but my mom is like that is not my son (laughs) (laughs) i also didn't know what the tracys would look like i had no idea if they were going to look like me at all or if they were going to be someone entirely different uh so it was really exciting the first time i played through and i was like oh my god that's me (laughs) (laughs) that must be like i don't know i I could think that would be kind of fun to like be able to see you but with like what if i tried this with my hair and then you don't actually have to try it like is the kid they did it for you yeah. dude and the character customizing parts of most games is my favorite part you know i'll sit i'll sit there forever trying to decide like oh, should i have a goatee or a mustache goatee <laughs> or a beard <laughs> you know it's like yeah i would love to see i mean maybe with the pc release of the game people will mod it up so that connor oh, can sure. connor can have his you know Fu Manchu <laughs> or whatever he needs but like <laughs> a mohawk maybe curly hair <laughs> so that uh connor has thomas the, tra- the tank engine's face just like yes. massive, the best, you know, yeah. this kind of thing, this high what? quality shit. This is what people need. Yeah, I would. Wait, has I that already would... happened. Is that what you want to do? Oh, there's just an infamous Skyrim thing where they they mod it so that all the dragons are Thomas the Tank Engine instead, <laughs> flying around. Yeah, dude, if you want to stream, that's that's a fun one, and when all the all the dragons are Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> who, by would... the way, I think was played by Ringo Starr. Isn't that the case? What? I think that I have I have why do I feel like Ringo I'm looking it up Ringo that Starr actually, That actually sounds familiar. Yeah, he was like right? in there for you know, I haven't watched Thomas the Tank Engine since I was, you know, 22, but You uh, know what? Actually, I have a funny happenstantial piece of Thomas the Tank Engine lore. Um my uh my friend Barbara who I, I bring up frequently because we talk all the time, uh is works for Bloober Team and the guy that did the voice of Ellis in uh, the new Blair Witch game was also the voice of one of the Thomas the Tank Engines. So they Dude, would always... Yeah. It's all connected through Thomas the Tank Engine. And this is... Uh, apparently he was the first narrator in the first two series of the game as Mr. Conductor in the oh. Shining Time Station. Wow. Oh, that's, that's you know? interesting. Yeah. We, I guess... We, <laughs> maybe we Thomas the Tank Engine... loop that back to Detroit, right? How do we do yeah. That? Maybe uh, Thomas the Tank Engine is the, is the Kevin Bacon of... Uh, of like video game voice acting. It's like, everyone's just like tangentially somehow related to Tom's tank engine. And here's the set that theory out to marinate on the internet. See what comes back. I I can bring it back to Detroit. It's pretty easy. So, uh, Bloober team, the guy that did the voice of Ellis, Bloober team also made, uh, observer observer had the voice of Rucker Hauer. Rucker Hauer played the Android in, uh, Blade Blade Runner. And this game is also about, Androids. So Dude, boom, and that's it. only four. Beautiful. And and I worked with Rutger Hauer on uh, True Blood. That's oh. true. Yeah. Which Is it true like, that he loves tangerines? I I would imagine that probably would be something that someone would love. So somebody I mean, else not love tangerines. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, I bet he likes using the restroom a couple times a day too. No, my, my the story that I have about him working as the voice actor for Observer is that he brought a huge sack of tangerines with him while he did it. I don't know if that's some like voice actor trick to keep your like vocal cords. Oh yes, voice actors can only eat tangerines. <laughs> that's hey, the secret. Before we get too off topic, I was I was thinking like just how similar Thomas the Tank Engine is to Detroit Become Human. Like there's uh-huh. this very this conductor who who brings life into the world by creating these sentient trains and they're confined right. to just doing these menial tasks just going On the back track. and forth yeah and like okay. there are trains that like you know if they if they rebel against this totally fascist conductor like they get 
like decommissioned. Like you know, there's you know, one I, that gets built I'm gonna, into. No, I think you're totally onto something here. This is something that. It's strange that this is how we got to it, but one of the things I think that really works about Detroit with the sense of a branching narrative, because it's difficult to pull off a branching narrative and have people feel like they really have choice and it really does impact everything that's happening. And I think that the railroad idea or having a clear mission, like Connor has very specifically said, you go do this. You have an A to B path you're supposed to be on then you can start to feel when you deviate away from your path. And so like breaking off the tracks has more of a, you know, visceral experience for you. Whereas in some games, you're not sure what left or right is going to add up to. And so then whether you go left or you go right, you feel this sort of ambiguous, like, well, I guess something changed in the cosmos, you know, as opposed to feeling this direct mission sense and then, you know, you can really feel like, oh, I'm breaking I'm breaking the rules. It, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the real question is in Detroit, do you stay as Thomas or do you evolve into JJ the jet plane? <laughs> <laughs> you can go anywhere. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. I guess it depends on how you play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh I'm glad that we got onto the Thomas the Tank Engine topic because I have some fan theories. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, uh, I, that is something you know. Like I said, I wanted to uh, you, that you brought up about the the, the choice in, in in narrative for uh, uh, games is that you know um, there's a there's a pretty significant following for uh, the the Quantic Dream games that uh, it's it's like the, the the fan base on it is relatively mixed, but everyone has strong opinions and strong feelings on it. You know, and like I'd rather a game. I prefer games that not everyone, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but everyone has a strong feeling on it. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And, yes, um, and that's the whole point. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious. Um, when I when I last uh, saw you guys, you guys were, we were is for the San Diego Comic-Con, Quantum Dream was doing a, like a fan thing. What are some interactions that you've had with the audience? Some positives? Um, we don't have to bring up any negatives. Don't like shit talk your fans or anything. But like, what are some, what are some things you weren't expecting when getting into the role? Oh man, the reception has been incredibly positive. The people that we've met online, especially, and then later at conventions and events and things have has been really, really exciting because there's this, like you say, you might play through the game and have one reaction or another or get one outcome or the other and have a totally different experience playing it, but everybody wants to share and compare their experience, which is like the root of empathy, which is the root of the game. So what's really cool to me is that whether people come up to us at an event and say, I just have to confess that I killed you every single time or, uh, <laughs> you know, or people that are out there being like, I took such good care of Connor and he's my little baby and I love him. Like the, there's, uh, you know, people have a very different level of attachment to different characters and to different parts of the story. And because of that, they can have, you know, they can literally tell these wildly different stories and then it's reflected in their artwork which mm-hmm. has been a real that, that was the coolest part for me after after the game came out i started seeing all these depictions of connor and i had a mental image based off concept art and based off my own idea of androids and stuff like what is connor but then when you see so many other people's depictions of this same character that look radically different like artwork we saw from eastern europe was completely different than stuff we saw from texas and it was completely different based off the person who played through it because they're projecting onto this blank canvas of this android face you know all of these things that are really important to them so we've talked to people that had 
experiences saying, um, you know, I have autism and this is something that really resonates with me. And I feel like I understand the world through these eyes. I also have talked to people that are really feeling especially deviant. They're doing things in their life that people are telling them expressly not to do, or they're not getting any kind of, um, you know, encouragement to go live the the life that's best suited for them. And so they're saying like, I'm breaking through this red wall and I'm, I'm having this deviant experience. And it's <laughs> like, you know, it's really cool. People are, um, there's a lot of different things in it that I think are resonating with different people, which is awesome for the conversation that happens after you play the game, as opposed to just like, you know, a game that's totally linear, you can enjoy the story, yes or no. And then it's like, the next question is like, well, what difficulty did you play it on? Or did you speed run it? Or, you know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. those variables are not as um, malleable or personal because mm -hmm. you have less agency there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And I think that that's probably, I mean, narrative games are always going to be able to speak to people in ways that other media uh, perhaps uh, can't. And I'm not saying that other media is, is bad, like, you know, movies and books and stuff, but the, the unique factor of a game is that, you know, uh, the, the, and Detroit humans are really become human and quantum dream games in, in general are a good example of this, which is that, um, the, when you're, when, if you look at games as art, like you would look at a movie or a painting as art, the movie and the painting are going to be the same movie and painting every time you observe it, every time you mm -hmm. watch it, every time you interact with it. But with games, it's going to change based on the actions that you take. So like as uh, a player, we are both the experiencer and in a way co-creator of the art at the same time, because the art doesn't exist outside of our interaction with it. And um, so that's why we have this like strong visceral reaction to when a game really reaches us. Um, and it's, it leads to some very, uh, vocal and passionate fans. Like, you know, the funny thing is, is that when I, when I told, uh, my girlfriend that I, we were doing this, uh, interview, she's like, oh my God, he's like all the, my, all of my gal pals love Connor. Apparently you're like a, like a, like a thing online. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, but, uh, <laughs> Amelia, I don't know if you knew this, but your husband, uh, he, there's a lot of fangirls out there. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> I, I gotta <laughs> say that uh, at least 51% of the fangirls are for Tracy. <laughs> <I think. laughs> Truly. Uh, well, it's, we've, we've met a lot of people that really love the game. It, it, it you're, you're, uh, speaking true when you say yeah. that there's a definitely compared to other games, a very large female, uh, audience and, and gamers that really enjoy the game and a lot of really super empathetic people that found this game and they're like oh my god a game where like the win state doesn't involve blowing people's heads off like you exactly. can succeed without violence and you get a better ending whoa <laughs> and the really cool thing about this game also is it puts you in other people's shoes so you get the experience of what is it like to be someone who is being oppressed and told that you can only you know do these certain things and to push against that um so i think that the, the fact that players have so much agency in games like this is why they get so attached and because they are getting to experience um, what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah, like exactly. When it's starting off the game as Kara, when she's dealing with, like, do the chores, so I, was, I was like, God damn, you're going to start a video game with doing chores? Like, it's a horrible idea. But then <laughs> as you're doing it, you're like, this sucks. I hate this. I do not want to have to do all these things that you're telling me to do. And then once you finally get the opportunity to deviate, right, mm -hmm. it feels so much better than if you just started off in an open sandbox game exactly yeah, i mean that's the point is that you don't want to be doing the things that the android is being forced to do right 
Yeah. And um, I, I think you make a good point there, though, which is that, you know, the win state, the specific phrase was the win state doesn't involve, involve you blowing people up. It's like in games like this, the, the, the tools and the weapons at your disposal aren't even necessarily weapons. I would, I would better say it's tools at your disposal are like emotional empathy and emotional uh, self-awareness. And it's like, you know, if you go into the game and you feel uncomfortable with your own ability to like uh, emote and express, like this is going to be, it's, it's more of a difficult experience, which is what I, I've found a lot of people that uh, are derisive towards these kinds of games are generally people that uh, through, and I always feel bad about it because I don't want to talk shit because I never know where someone's coming from in their life. But for some reason or another uh, is, is at a state where they are uncomfortable with raw expressive emotion. Mm. Yeah, well, and I think I, I would say that the scary thing is that we're becoming increasingly afraid of expressing raw emotion. We, you know, if you imagine a time before there's anything screen related whatsoever, the only way you can communicate, you know, even if you're on the phone, you're you're really expressing yourself. We've reduced everything down, and so much of it is in text and black and white or through a screen that we are increasingly intimidated by the idea of like, I'm a human and I'm really sad. Or I'm yeah. a human and I'm having a really good day and I want to share it with you. Like th th those extremes of the human emotion, like that's the whole experience and we can't leave that out in the game. Well, and you know, so many of uh, the, the young internet people that uh, we all know and love because they like and subscribe, please like and subscribe. Uh, they are like <laughs> what we would consider to be like blackpilled. Like they grew up in a, I know personally, like I grew up on like 4chan and stuff and it's a programming. It's sorry. I'm breaking the programming, but it's, it's literally like a programming that I had to break where I thought like being the most edgy and noxious person was like a badge of honor, like not feeling was how you got through life. And it was like, Oh, I can look at all these like horrible images and like not get shocked. Luckily it led to me being able to like watch horror movies and like not be, be shocked. But it, like it really hampered my ability to like admit that I have like my own problems that I need to like grow up and get over in order to be like a productive member of fucking society mm -hmm. and um you know and I, a lot of people never really get over that like i remember when i first played uh heavy rain in uh college it was easier for me to laugh at the harder moments of the game and be like well that's silly but then to like actually try to empathize with this character going through an experience that you know, losing a son is not, like, that hard to imagine. And I remember, like, uh, there was, like, as I grew up, there was, like, this moment where I went back to the game, and I was, like, I, I've, like, grown to a point where I can, like, actually, like, watch this man in a game lose his son and, like, feel along with him. And mm -hmm. I, I think that th that's why games like this are important, is to, like, we don't need every game to be Call of Duty where it's just, like, oh, wait, we shouldn't shit talk Call of Duty. We just interviewed someone from Call of Duty last week. Not every game needs to be Battlefield. Yeah, we haven't interviewed any of those yet. Uh, <laughs> where you just, like, throw grenades and blow up tanks. Like, it's and, and it's, 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 it's one of the hardest things to confront is that possibly, like, we as gamers are emotionally insignificant for the material and not that the material is insignificant uh, to us. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting point, though. And, and to there's definitely something there for the agency of the sensation of being capable and powerful and well-connected. And, you know, if you're playing a super soldier in something, and mm -hmm. even there are cases in Detroit where Connor is, I call him Red Connor, the machine Connor. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're on the rooftop, you're loading a sniper rifle, you're saying all this badass shit to the police detective that you're blowing off behind you. And, like, mm -hmm. you know, filming those scenes 
I was really convinced based off my preconception of, okay, who are video game players, right? Which I imagined back to like my 15 year old self getting destroyed in Halo one and then extrapolated forward to like a 30 year old version of that. And I'm like, this person's going to want to play the game and be the Terminator. And then when you look at the end of the game and the world stats and it shows you with the flow chart of all the different people's playthroughs, people chose the empathetic thing. It's easier mm-hmm. for people prefer to have emotional inter- interactions with people. People prefer to be empathetic and take care of other things and, and you know, preserve life. So, like, that's actually the easier way to live. And yeah. I – my own expectation with the game was that most people were going to come out with a machine, Connor, and then a couple of people that beat the game, you know, the tricky way mm-hmm. would be deviant. But it actually was not the case. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's one of those things where uh, I think that when you're looking at those stats, it's in, it's it's interesting because uh, <clears throat> you know a lot of these these narrative kind of games now reveal the stats at the end of what people chose, and you find that while while the because you have that layer of being possibly alone in your room and playing these games it's a good gateway to like being a good person, especially if you're like an asshole because like you don't have to put on a character. You can just like kind of be yourself. And I think Mm -hmm. that it's telling that when we look at the stats, most people want to be like a member of society. They want to be good people, even though our main exposure to a lot of these. So there's a lot of people online that are vitriolic trolls, et cetera. But I think I've always been of the opinion that if you take these people and you, you remove the social factor of having to like put on this face and this character, like <clears throat> you find that they are humans that just desire uh, love and empathy as much as the rest of us. Oh uh, dude. And, and that is like the core of what we've found with our streaming environment, because I was terrified to start streaming on Twitch because I thought, okay, I mean, there there are plenty of there are plenty of memes about every single video game. There's tons of people that would like to shoot down pretty much anything anybody enjoys, right? The mm-hmm. internet can be a dark place. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, if I go online and I'm live streaming here, what's to stop this from being literally the last career move I ever make? <laughs> you know, like, what <laughs> yeah. if I go online, I get caught in some troll shit, I say the wrong thing, I you know, it all crumbles. But what I found was actually the complete opposite, and the reinforcing of this expectation that people are kind and that it's easier to be positive just breeds more and more of that. It's almost like you just have to carve a potential path in a game for that to happen. You have to, or in life and the water will flow to the lowest point. You know, it's, it's easier that way. So I do, I'm, I'm with you. I think people are inherently good. I do. Yeah. I think that it's it's mostly about the the type of community that you foster because if you feed into people's dark side, feed into the negativity, you will get a lot of followers. Like it's an easy way to get followers, but it's it's a it's a it's a hyperbolized non non real version of yourself, and it it eventually leads to toxic communities. And uh, you know, I used to I used to work with um like a abused kids for uh, like a like a year. I did that as a like a job for a year, and um. You know what? What you find is that even like the the harshest, most vitriolic kids, the ones that are like the most acting out, are the ones that like it, when you introduce positivity in their lives and like show pride. It's it's like so crazy to see because I don't know if the the two of you have kids or have worked with kids before, but you know you have a a kid that's like acting out, being violent, and things like that. And sh- like if you like just like show pride in like a drawing that they made. 
like you can see the impact it has on them, like in their eyes. And I think that uh, a lot of I, I think that fostering that kind of community of of pride and positivity is is like fundamentally more important than getting the most likes and subscribes because people think you got the hottest takes, you know. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think at the end of the day, everybody just wants to be loved. I mean, even if we think about, like, the biggest villains in movies or even the biggest villains in real life, if you break it all down, at the end of the day, what they're really going for is trying to get people to like them or trying to, to be loved, to find love. And it's just about the question of how you're going about it. So when you show people uh, a positive way to get that or you're moving in a positive direction to show love and to give love, um, then it, it just reflects back to you. Yeah. And all you need is love. And we made it all back to Ringo Starr. It was in Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, my <laughs> God. It all comes back to Thomas. Um, yeah. Um, but I did I did just want to ask, uh, well, Jesse, do you have any questions? Any more questions right now? Uh, um, what are your favorite dinosaurs? <laughs> oh, man. The triceratops with three long horns. <laughs> That's really his favorite for sure. Yeah, yeah. Good, <laughs> good choice. Um, um Continue. No, we're we're gonna that, that'll be a family answer. <laughs> I was just wondering, like how, so you know, typically an actor, they, well, one, I want to know what it's like acting without a camera on you because, you know, I imagine you're not just standing monolithic in the middle of the room, you know, doing doing these voice lines. Like I imagine you're still you still have to like get into character. Uh, I wonder what that's. I want you know. I'd like to know what that's like. But also, um, you know, acting out scenes that kind of split up because for each scene, there's got to be, you know, four or five different outcomes. I don't know. I'm having trouble articulating it, but. Yeah. Well, there definitely are cameras. They're just set up in a different way than it would be on a film or TV set. But you are surrounded by how many cameras, Brian? It's like 80. There's over 80 cameras. But they're LED and they're they're, uh, recording the infrared um, off the reflecting. Um, On our suits, I'll have these sensors. So the cameras are picking up the movement of these sensors. So it feels much more like being on a. Uh, on a stage, actually, because you are everything you're doing is being picked up by the cameras and is being seen. So you have to have a very full physical performance. Um, so it's not just about like what your voice is doing; it's about everything connected. Yeah, which gives you a lot of freedom too, because they're not necessarily set on a lens size or or a certain frame. It's the whole scene every time every take start to finish mm. so uh that gives you a lot of freedom to try things you know for the actor on set in the moment but also them afterwards when they go to film it again inside of the digital space they're able to follow things that we did in the performance that might not have been recorded if they had decided ahead of time this will be a medium this will be a close-up this is an insert you know that sort of thing and all the different permeations you know that's a tricky question to answer because honestly it was just one step at a time i had batches of script to go through and uh, i used colors a lot to identify the different paths for myself so i knew that there were some cases which could only happen under certain circumstances and other things um were just even permeations inside of the line you know do you have one of four different replies so we would solve that by having a cycle where uh clancy brown who plays hank would deliver one line and then i would 
be in this little suspended animation moment where I'm about to deliver option A, and then I return to that cycle for the second line and return and again. So you do have to kind of do the same work that an actor would do before a take, before they say action, uh, inside of the take itself for each of those different beats. So you're 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 emotionally preparing to respond in a different way four different times each time you have an exchange. So there's a lot of dialogue. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't know uh, I was way off on the amount of cameras. Um, but, well, uh, you're right. You're right, though, that they're not traditional cameras. And, yeah. and normal the normal cameras that are on set are more for reference. So mm-hmm. if they have something and they're looking at the data points later and they're like, what is this random floating dot? They can look back at the reference and go, oh, she was holding a mug. Yeah. Okay. So they yeah. have, I think, four different cameras set up around the sound uh, around the stage. And they're all filming at different angles of everyone as of everyone. So you can see like after the fact uh, what we all look like on on the soundstage. Gotcha. Yeah, I was only really familiar with, like, uh, voice actors for cartoons who just kind of, like, sit in a room in a recording booth for, you know, eight hours. Yeah. And, but, you know, this sounds a lot more active and involved. It was, sure. it was cool that in a lot of cases, like, Amelia and I got to film our scenes together on mm-hmm. set, which was really awesome. But uh, because of the technology, they can also splice together performances. So while working on the game, I had never met Jesse Williams or Valerie Curry, who play Marcus and Kara. Um, but I filmed all of those scenes and they filmed their half of those scenes. And then later we were, you know, stitched together. How the fuck do you do blocking with 81 cameras? (laughs) Well, I mean, you basically don't have to, right? Yeah, uh, I guess. Um, the, the blocking becomes much more about really, truly guys. It's like a D and D grid. It's like, you've got a bunch of one inch squares, uh, on the table. Benjamin Dibling, who's the shooting director would tell you, okay, so, you know, from here, from, B1 to B4 is the doorway. They put a sandbag in a sandbag to tell you that's a doorway. <laughs> and the body is somewhere around like F6. And they put half a mannequin. It's this, By the way, guys, every single dead body in this game is played by the same half a mannequin. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you should get a credit. This poor duct taped up dude. <laughs> uh, you know, so the, it had more to do with like where you are in space so that they could be sure that it matched the concept art and therefore the digital build of the space. Um so that was more of the puzzle than it is like on a film and TV set where they're like, oh, well, we got to move this camera to this angle. Wait, we can't cross the 180. Okay, wait, hold on. You know, the wall's in the yeah. way. Mm-hmm. You're, you're more like looking out for imaginary things that are going to play out later, you know. Yeah, which is its own challenge. Yeah. Sure. Um, I guess the, the question that I have now is just, you know, for, for people that are listening that are, are – uh, looking, that are video game fans themselves that are looking to get into acting, but they don't want to actually be like a in in film because uh, being in film is terrible and awful, and they want to be in video games instead. <laughs> is, that, is it terrible and awful? Uh, it depends on. on it depends, I mean, it depends <laughs> on uh, the shooting, the, the schedule, and where you're shooting. Like, so like before I did the the video game stuff, I was doing all film stuff, and um, like you know, it's like if you're shooting in Albuquerque and you're supposed to be, it's like it's supposed to be a summer scene, but you're shooting in winter <laughs> right. for whatever, and like your shirt's off because it's a CW show, so of course, and uh, <laughs> like and it's really fucking cold. Like, oh, yeah, I've that's yes, yes, yeah, that's like Lots Amelia's of, whole career is I the know. wrong wardrobe in the wrong climate. <laughs> Little summer dresses <laughs> at four a.m. <laughs> yeah, Yay. and it's yeah, and it's like what is it like tw- ten degrees outside? It's ridiculous, and um, yeah, but no, there's a lot of people that um 
there's also people that want to act that don't feel like uh, they are of the the body type that would necessarily get cast in like a main show. And there's like a whole other discussion we can have about like body positivity and acceptance and things like that. But you know, they might be more attractive to the video game side of things where their characters recreated for whatever reason. And uh, you know, sure. But uh, I mean, that that's what really excited me about the idea of going towards performance capture anyway, before uh, Detroit came along. Um, is that you have this freedom to play things you are decidedly not. Of course, then here I am looking like this android that looks exactly like me except for to my mom. <laughs> and the, you know, the the freedom that you have on a performance capture set or the freedom that you have in the vocal booth to record uh, voice lines, you know, you, you, you do have a lot more uh, removal from the reality, you know, the, and the, which is the whole reason I got into acting in the first place. You know, I'm like, I don't want to be a boring midwestern boy i want to be something unusual i want to do something <laughs> different i want to be an astronaut you know but i'm probably not going to be an astronaut but i could pretend to be an astronaut so i think that the best advice for anybody wanting to get into this is to foster and take care of your creative and imagination your mm -hmm. your your um refill the well to do things that re you really enjoy i went through a time where i right after i graduated and i was like i'm you know, gonna had this idea of the starving artist, right? And then for like five years, I didn't spend any money on doing anything. And I'm like, God, why am I so creatively dead? And then once you break out of that and you're like, oh shit, I can go to a museum. I can go see this play. I can go to this. And then you start getting out in the world and experiencing stuff. Then you have a lot more in your tank and a lot more to draw from and a lot more to be excited about. So that's something Amelia and I really want to encourage people to do is like if you want to make art you have to also consume art like yeah. it's a two it's a two-way thing oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. um yeah i mean <laughs> and 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 to really uh you know you can certainly go uh into just performance capture or just uh voice acting but the simple truth is acting is acting is it's acting. So, you know, taking a class, going, doing something in community theater or, you know, taking an audition class or whatever the kind of thing, like you're all, you're going to be dealing with basically the same thing, which is to say, I'm confident enough in my creativity and I'm confident enough in my imagination that I'm willing to give this a try and be, you know, allow the character to be separate from myself. And also taking a, uh, opportunities that that are presented to you like um you know working on student films or doing local theater um just any anything that gives you the opportunity to use your craft and to go out and play um because it all leads to something <laughs> eventually yeah wasn't there um some kind of like movement training that you can do though for it i can't remember what it's called Sure. I mean, uh, at, I went to NYU uh, for acting and we did a lot of movement. Uh, ours, we worked on open choreography and what they call the Williamson technique. But there are tons and tons of different schools of thought for movement, which is when I went off to school at 18, I was thinking, oh, God, I'm terrified of movement. I don't want to wear gym clothes ever in my life. And this is going to be <laughs> dance. They're going to make me dance. And dance is great and super useful for an actor. But movement is an entirely different uh, line of thought. I mean, it has to do with your body use. It has to do with your awareness of your instrument, about uh, how emotionality affects you physically, where characters lead from. I mean, you some characters are all about their brain. Uh, this is an interesting thought that relates to Detroit, is that uh, I talked to Benjamin Dibling, the, the shooting director, about his idea was that 
Connor was the brain, the player dealing with their mental situation, Kara with the heart, and Marcus with the gut. And I really think that's an interesting consideration to play through the game with is to think about, you know, the player has one whole experience going through Detroit, but they're engaged with three very different riddles, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Connor's there trying to figure things out and understand things cerebrally, and Kara and Marcus have their own arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is true. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm just right, my, my, my 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 brain is kind of racking itself because I'm trying to remember uh, when uh, I talked to the guy from Heavy Rain, Pascal, uh, yeah. and he was talking about some kind of he does like all he's like really into like the theory crafting of like uh, acting and such, you know? Oh yeah, he it's works like, on um, on uh, physical uh, physicality libraries. He's building. Yeah, and that's the he thing. He does an incredible amount of work on that. But he, he, there was some kind of technique that he was talking about that I can't remember his, like the the phrase that he used for it. I'm just trying to remember. I was wondering if you guys remembered knew what he was talking about. No, we we got to meet him at San Diego Comic Con uh, where you were there, and that was the first time we'd ever met and talked. But he runs a school in Canada, uh, very much focused on performance capture and storytelling physically. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was. That's what I wanted to, to think about. Is that uh, there's like a school that you can go to for this. That he like. So one of the previous guys from another Quantic Dream game, uh, Pascal Langdale, he uh, did Ethan in Heavy Rain. So if anyone out there is interested in um, trying to learn the motion, the art of the motion capture and stuff, uh, there's a school for it. Like you can actually go study that and the physicality, the library physicality that he has is, I mean, I'm when I did the, uh, the comic con interview, it was like, we only had like a minute to talk about it, but it was always something I wanted to learn more about, but anyone out there that's interested, this is definitely like, this is like a thing now. you know? Oh, well, and more, not to, not to, you know, make it awkward or anything, but it was a thing since the very beginning. <laughs> like the physicality of acting is pretty much the beginning of it. When you perform in a gigantic space, right? Like, so, uh, People are familiar, of course, with Shakespeare. Uh, Something they're maybe not so familiar with is that at the beginning of Shakespeare's plays, they'd throw a couple clowns out there. The clowns would perform the entirety of the Shakespeare play you're about to see physically with just basically uh, as if they're very, very broad puppets in this huge space. It's called Commedia dell'arte. And they are – telling the audience ahead of time, like, this is a story about a king and a queen. The king's going to die and the queen's going to do this. Here comes the play. And uh, so we respond to seeing things physically uh, much more than we do verbally. And I think that has something to do with why Detroit was so well received internationally, too, is that there's a lot of things in there that are that are just storytelling with physicality, which is what, you know, you're mentioning all with Pascal. And, you know, that's we as humans know how to, you know, we recognize somebody raising their hands in the air and they're they're celebrating a victory we can tell if someone is slumped over and they're leaning out their hands and they're begging i mean these physical shapes we we recognize like yeah instinctually it's it's beyond language yeah no it's it's true 
So you just brought up Shakespeare, and I was thinking about the physicality of Shakespeare and stuff. And uh, did you, did either of you ever see the uh, 2015 Macbeth that they did with Michael Fassbender? No, but I want to see it so badly. Uh, now I have yeah, to. We brought it's... it back up, and I'm like, okay, now, now is the time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard, and it's like a, it's a complete recreation of the play. It's like the same dialogue, but the the way that they do the shots and the uh, the the continuity of it, and what they choose to do with without dialogue is like yeah it really tells the whole story because you know in a shakespeare play you only have uh the the limits of the stage and whatever scene transitions they can do which but for the time was very limited so most shakespeare plays are set in like you know just generic area um but this this the the macbeth film like it really does a great job of telling the whole story uh and a lot of like what you're talking about is like the physicality of like especially the scene where Lady Macbeth is like uh, talking about like trying to wash out the the this damn spot, you know. Uh, I'm I'm a huge Shakespeare nerd, by the way. So yeah, awesome. <laughs> you cool. opened yeah, you opened up a whole can of worms with that. But but I, I just want to you know I really want to thank you guys for coming on today because like I said at the beginning, the gaming industry has gotten to a point where there are so many jobs outside the realm of what people would normally think is a video game industry job and uh you know the people with all sorts of various interests get the chance to work in the industry and maybe get some experiences that they didn't uh think they would get coming into it so you know i i, I really you know it was really great to talk to you guys and um i just am curious you know what you guys are up to nowadays if there's any way that you know fans of the game could uh you know follow you or something like that Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time for the interview and for all your great questions. Sure. Uh, we are going to be playing through Detroit Become Human on the PC uh, on Sundays at noon Pacific Standard Time on our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Games. And uh, if they want to follow along on social media, we've got um, – actually, there are three games that we're working on together uh, that we both play characters in that we can't tell you anything about because of NDAs, but they're all going to be released in 2020. So uh, as soon as we can post and share more about that stuff, we we totally will on, on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Oh, and in the awesome. meantime, come kick it with us on Twitch. Yeah. Okay. So follow them on Twitch and look forward to the games coming out in 2020 that uh, no one can talk about yet. So um, <laughs> anyways, guys, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, this has uh, been... This has been real professional. It's been real professional this time, I guess. And uh, it's been real. So uh, thank you all for listening in. And uh, bye. Cool. Take care. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good one. I know who the killer is, Ethan. Take off your instance. Congratulations, Ethan. You succeed. You're the father that I have been looking for all these years. Man capable of giving his own life to save his son.